This episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Get into your best shape with their comprehensive programs. So sign up now to either their basic package or warrior package with the code PSPKB, all caps, for 15% off. Stay fit this winter with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Process Podcasters. I'm your host, Neolus Bruce, aka NWB, and I'm joined by Mr. Kobe Rond, aka Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? Fantastic, buddy. Another another Olympian on board. That's right, Kobe. Our guest today is an Olympian in from the sport of figure skating. Sorry, not figure skating, speed skating. <laughs> skating with speed and style. That's a fair mistake. We spoke to a figure skater earlier today. <laughs> we have no sequence on our suits. <laughs> but she will be covering figure skating. She'll be covering the whole Canadian team at the Winter Olympics as she's also the chef de mission for Team Canada at Beijing 2022. It is Katrina lemay Dome. Katrina, how's it going? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on. Now, Katrina, this must be a dream to be able to not only go to the Olympics as an athlete, but also as the, the head of the mission. Yeah, it's something I've always wanted to do, actually, to be chef de mission. Uh, four games as an athlete, five as media. In 2018, I walked away from media and joined the mission team as lead athlete mentor, which kind of is like assistant chef. So these are actually going to be my 11th games in total. That's nuts. That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> I'm 110. <laughs> <laughs> You competed when you were three, right? That's exactly, yeah. There we go. There we go. No, it's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. You're a very recognizable figure in Canadian Olympic history. Your achievements are well documented. So you've done it all as far as the Olympics is concerned. Outside of competing there, what have you enjoyed the most? Oh, goodness. You know, even saying competing at the Olympics, did I enjoy it? Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's sort of a love-hate. I believe in the games and the power of the games and, and what they represent. But, you know, I'll tell you, as an athlete going to the games, it's, it's pure stress because my event, my specialty, 500 meters, 37 seconds. So you train for, you know, 20-some years for 37-second race, and you know that things can happen. That's Nothing's guaranteed. That's why we compete in sport. That's why we watch sport. So a lot of stress, you know, as media, it's, it's also stressful. You get yelled at a lot. I love the games outside of the actual competition side. It's, it's the fact that every games has a spirit, which is really unique. You know, people have asked me what I think the spirit of Beijing will be. It's, it will still have a spirit, even though it's different because of the COVID world, but Mm -hmm. people came back from Tokyo just talking about the volunteers and, you know, and I think, the volunteers in Beijing, it's just going to be, they're going to be so excited that they're actually welcoming the world because, you know, there's been been a big unknown and question mark whether things would happen. So, 
you know, I just love the games and I'm just so proud to go there with team Canada and, you know, probably will probably be our biggest team ever of, uh, you know, we're forecasting 228 athletes. Yeah, for sure. I, I love speed skating. Okay. I'm a fan of speed skating. I don't actually skate myself, <laughs> but born in Canada, my father's from the Netherlands. So you, you know, there's a connection oh, there as well. There and, you <laughs> and, and my mother's Jamaican. So speed is, is a thing. And <laughs> I absolutely love the 500 because I find it to be a little bit chaotic, which I, I kind of like, to be honest. How has it changed since when you competed? Not a lot. I mean, there's and reminding people that speed skating, there is short track and there's long track. In mm-hmm. Canada, in general, we grow up doing both. And in Canada Games, I did short track. I am the personality of a long tracker because I don't like the pushing and shoving. I'm a control person, so I want to control my own race. Yep. But if I look at the 500 from, oh goodness, so in Beijing, it'll be 20 years since my last Olympic race. Not much has changed. You know, there's always evolution, a little bit of the suits, the skates haven't really changed. There's always development of ice to make things faster. Mm-hmm. But in Canada, I mean, it's, you know, my kids are 17 and 14 and they're like, oh, mommy, you still have your Canadian record. That's exciting. And yet I'm kind of disappointed as well because we should always be improving. And so that's probably the area we've maybe struggled in the most in distance wise is the, is in the women's 500. So, you know, cool that 20 years I've, I still have the Canadian record, but also it it should get broken. I want it to get broken because it means that, you know, we continue to to develop the athletes. And is there sort of a, I guess like a, like a center of speed skating in Canada now or no? Since 1988, it's always been Calgary. Okay. And that was a legacy of the 88 games. Uh, Saint-Foy in Quebec City just opened an oval, a, a covered oval. So most cities have an oval that is natural ice. You know, Saskatoon has one, Regina has one, Moose Jaw has one. That's, I grew up in Saskatchewan. Red Deer has a great one and used for Canada Games. Edmonton has one. So most cities have an outdoor oval that when it gets cold enough, you make ice and it's a 400 meter track. Yeah. But... Yeah. Quebec can be a bit of a center, mostly for the Quebec athletes, but there are some athletes, the the trials for Beijing, if there are skate-offs, will be happening in Quebec City. So those are the two covered ovals, which are in general, the centers. Okay. And, and do we have any any favorites going to Beijing that you, that you know of? Oh, for sure. I mean, we've been doing well at the World Cups. Um, The athletes were in Poland and then Norway and then just recently Salt Lake City and they're competing in Calgary the December 11th weekend. So we've had some great results. Uh, You know, probably one of the most well-known names right now is Yvonne Blondin, Mm -hmm. originally from Ottawa. So she is very strong in the mass start, which is you know quite a newish event, kind of like short track, but on long track ice. Uh, she's a member of the mass start team and she's a long distance skater. She does compete in the 1500, but the 3000, 5000 are her specialties. And then Ted Jan Bloman, who's originally from the Netherlands, who's um, skates for Canada. You know, he won back in Pyeongchang. And so you know, we, we have a strong team and men's 500, uh, Laurent de Bray has been doing really well. So we have a strong team. Again, maybe the women's 500 lacking a bit. But, you know, the great thing is, is you could be ranked first in the world for years on end. You go to the Olympics and it's it's anybody's race. And, yeah. uh, and we know that that can happen. 
No, that's, that's true. It's so true, especially in that event. Yeah, and I guess one of the beautiful things about the Olympics is it's the best of the best. It's the, the 1% of every sport. And there's a common, most if not all athletes have had to have overcome something to get there. And in this particular Olympics, there would have been added challenges for many in terms of preparation and whatnot. As a chef de mission, what message will you be passing on to the athletes going to a, an Olympics that will be different to other Olympics? I don't even think I have to explain to the athletes that it's going to be different. They've been living in these bubbles for the last over a year, right? When, when the pandemic hit and sport was shut down, summer athletes hardly had any competitions. Winter athletes were at that time doing their dry land training. So their training outdoor at that time was not affected. And then they started to go, okay, can competitions happen? So most of the sports last year actually had competition in various bubbles, a lot of them being in Europe. So they were fortunate because even though they had to adapt and their training was different, it was different for everyone, but then they had competition. So what's been great is that the athletes, you know, have kind of had a normal-ish summer of training and fall and then have been competing. But they've been going through various protocols and different than it ever was before, but they're getting used to it, you know, testing every single day, uh, whether the competitions are sort of within these bubbles, testing before they go to the next country. You know, there've been some within different circuits, various positive tests from different teams. And so then it's isolation and okay, then these people get tested. So the protocols are things that they've been going through. That's distracting. It's stressful, but they know what they need to do in order to be their very best. And so, you know, we're down to less than two months. They know what to do and uh, they're focused on being their very best at competition time, the day of in Beijing. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And do we know what it's going to look like in terms of the, we have fans at this Olympics? So they have said that um, fans can be in the stands from mainland China. So we have said, I, I, you know, I think all the stands are going to be full. The fans might not know all of the sports. I was, <laughs> we, we named, I was in Saskatoon with the curling teams uh, for the, for the trials. And that was our first Olympic team that was named. And, um, you know, the curlers said, well, the fans will be there. They won't have any idea when to clap, <laughs> but they said, it'll be great to have people there cheering. So <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not the family and friends of the athletes, but there will be fans in the stands, which is, again, different than it was for Tokyo. But that will be great. And we know that things are being set up in Canada for the friends and family. And, and you know, I had a comment from somebody saying it's a very and, and I get this. You love having your family there, but it is an added stress because even no pandemic, you're in a bit of a bubble because the athletes village is a bubble people can't access it freely so when you're trying to see your family you're trying to coordinate with them then you know they don't necessarily have the right communication tools and you're trying to get to where they are so somebody mentioned to me you know it's one less stress and i hadn't thought of it that way so you know it is what it is we know that family and friends can't be there but they'll be watching at home and so we will do what we can as a mission team to make sure that the athletes can hear them and can get the messages and that they know that they're cheering. Awesome. Well, we look forward to that and look forward to seeing numerous medals for Canada as well. Although I should bring up that one of the greatest Australian medals from the Winter Olympics was a speed skater. 
I don't know if you remember the story of Steve Bradbury. Oh, yep. <laughs> I do remember it. And I think they still say you're, uh, you're pulling a Bradbury when you get That's lucky. right. He's, he's entered the national lexicon <laughs> to pull a Bradbury. Exactly. Okay, hold on. You got to fill me in on this one. I, this one I do not know. Okay, so at Salt Lake City, uh, Stephen Bradbury, I want to say it was the 1,000 meters. Yeah, it was the 500. 500, thank you. Yeah. Uh, the semifinal, he was either coming second to last or last, and then there, one or two of the competitors in front of him fell over, and that enabled him to get into the final. And then in the final, I believe he was running last. Yep. <laughs> and then there was another pileup at the front, I think. Paulo Ono and a couple of others had fallen over, and that allowed Stephen Bradbury to be the last person skating, and he skated through for gold. Okay, fair enough, though. I mean, crashing is a big part of speed skating. Mm, this guy was coming from long odds, Cole. Long odds. So he ends up being, yeah, kind of getting bumped to the final because he was so far back that he didn't get into any trouble. That's why he won the gold. Uh, so... Yeah, entertaining, but that's the sport of short track. That's got to be a movie. There should be a movie about that, 100%. <laughs> I mean, he, he definitely does a lot of speaking tours around Australia. And it wouldn't surprise me if there's a movie or some sort of short, like, mini series on TV in the future. Yeah, no. So, speaking of the follow up there, it's a good question. Katrina, are you still involved in speed skating in Canada in any way or no? Yeah, I, uh, in Calgary, I am. Uh, and, and I say in Calgary because that's where most of the national team is based. So I do help at the Oval. And, you know, I've always gone and, and well, pre-pandemic, uh, seen the athletes and they know that they can sort of you know, ask me anything. Uh, so I am involved to a point. I've never really wanted to coach. Okay. I, I love being around it and I love giving advice if, if people want it. But, you know, I think just while my kids are going through teen years, you know, my focus has not been okay. Let's let's now coach and go away for months. <laughs> Even though you know the Olympics do that, but uh, it's I'm still involved in various ways. It's I left the sport loving it, and I still love it. Have either of your kids followed your footsteps or no? They're both very fast skaters, but my daughter, who's 17, plays ringette. So and okay. actually, I started in ringette before I speed skated. That builds really good skaters. And my son is 14, and he plays triple-A uh, hockey. So they're both very athletic. They've tried speed skating, but I'm okay that they didn't follow that. All right. No, fair enough. But they have got the the ice in their veins, obviously. They do. <laughs> yes. Now, statistically speaking, unless, I mean, from the outside looking at it, I'd say 1998 was your best year. Would you agree? Um, I don't know. I'm, you know, I've never been asked that question. I don't know if I would put it at that year or 2002. I'm not sure, actually. Like, not I sure. I don't even think I can ask, answer it. Okay. Oh, fair enough. That's maybe the one we'll get back to another time. We'll ask you after after you've thought it out. <laughs> but what what do you attribute your your ridiculous speed with when it really comes right down to it? I mean, you were setting record upon record upon record. Yeah, I mean, at the time we had the evolution of the sports, we had the clap skate come out. So, you know, but say probably top fifteen skaters in the world were all breaking the previous world records. But again, it's the evolution of the sport. So, you know, when I raced against Bonnie Blair, who many people had known that name. I was sort of the next generation. But, you know, we had naturalized, then we had artificialized, then we covered ovals, then we had the clapsgate, and then there's the evolution of the suit. So it's continued to evolve, which sport does. But um, 
I think the fact of how I skate and the clap skate did a lot of good things, but now you start to see technique changing. And that's why a lot of times have plateaued because people, uh, it's hard to really explain without actually showing, but you can kind of cheat in your technique with, with the clap skate. What I did until the day I retired was I wore the old style of skate. So the one that didn't have the clap that, you know, we, we call them hardtails that, that, that if your weight went forward, you would actually toe into the ice. Okay. I always did two laps of warm up on those skates. What it did was muscle memory. So technically the way I skated, you know, I was very disciplined. Did I have a perfect race? No, because a perfect race does not exist. And I had to eventually come to terms with that. But that's one of the things I did. I also, I mean, I was diligent at doing the small things, you know, the, the warm ups, warm downs, the hot, cold, those things that take so much time and the extra, but those are the things that you know, that are going to take you to that next level or, you know, have others pull ahead of you. And I wasn't willing to do that. I wanted every part of what I did to, to allow me to be my very best. Okay. No, fair enough. Be sure to join the Pro Sports Podcasters Facebook group where you will be able to interact with the hosts and talk to other sports fans. Now back to the show. Obviously, you probably enjoyed uh, racing in Calgary in front of your sort of hometown fans, but outside of Canada, where did you like to race? Oh, there were some neat places that we raced. I mean, Holland was always fun because you're in front of 15,000 drunk Dutch people who (laughs) love the sport and who love, love the sport and they don't just cheer for the Dutch. They cheer for good racing and they're very knowledgeable. So that was always fun. Okay. But you know, we went to some really neat places. We were in a place called Medeo in uh, Kazakhstan, just outside of Almaty. It was a horrible oval, but it was just so unique to be there. There's a place in Italy, it's, it's called Calalbo. And uh, some people know the name Balzano. There's a lot of Canadians who play hockey there. It's mm-hmm. the city that's just you know, down the mountain, but in this little town of Calalbo, it's an outdoor oval. Sun always is shining. <laughs> there are like five guest houses, four cafes and an oval. And you stand on the starting line and you look out at the Dolomite mountains. So to me, you know, it wasn't always the best racing if there was a little bit of wind, but it was just so beautiful. So, you know, what I think is so special is that I've seen places in the world that have ovals that people will never see that I'll never go to again. So where I liked racing the most, very different depending on what it is that we were racing for. Okay, awesome. Yeah, now, Katrina, you actually wrote a book just after 2002 Olympics called Going for Gold. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about what went into that. You know, I guess I put in quotations, I wrote a book because it's through a ghostwriter, which happens a lot, which when I look at, I mean, it, people have enjoyed it and it's kind of a teenage year, like it, it's good. It's 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 a bit about that battle of you know getting to the top but i think eventually i'd love to write a write stuff about you know how difficult it is and how difficult it is not just to fail but it's difficult to succeed and to deal with that and and life after and and real life because people kind of have this assumption well you've stood on an olympic podium and you've stood there you know at the top twice but that doesn't mean that life is ever easy or perfect or anything and so i think that's a bit of the reality check but um yeah you know what it's 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 been fun and i think it's fun for my kids now to kind of see that as well 
Yeah, for sure. And not only that, but you carried the torch at Vancouver 2010. Mm-hmm. In, yeah. Towards the end, what was that like? Well, a lot of people don't remember this. I, I think I'm the only one who actually carried it four times. So I started the, the torch relay off with Simon Whitfield on October 30th, 2009. I've often said that's maybe one of my most powerful Olympic moments because we didn't know what to expect. You know, everything about an athlete is about prep and about preparation, about being ready and, you know, you deal with situations. Here we were, you know, we were just starting this torch relay and Simon and I both said, we don't know what to expect. And we started jogging down the path and the hundred yards that we were jogging with the, with the flame and the looks on people's faces of just hope and joy and everything looking at the flame. It was, it was this just sort of hit me like the power of the flame and the power, not just of the 17 days of the games, but the power that the hope of sport has really hit me on that day. And it, it took me quite a while to recover from it. I was then given the honor of from Coca-Cola three days before the opening to run, you know, a section. And then I obviously had to keep it confidential. I was one of the cauldron lighters. Mm. So one of the mm-hmm. final four torch bearers. Um, if you recall the opening ceremony of 2010, the arm of the cauldron did not come up. Yeah, we had the we had the glitch. Uh, so what they did was then they they kind of made a spoof of it and and allowed me to light the cauldron at the closing ceremony. So it was actually my fourth time carrying it. And somebody said, "Well, that's a world record." And I said, "Well, it's kind of special, I guess." <laughs> <laughs> so unique and different. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm sure you'd like to see the Winter Olympics back in Canada one day. I would. I was uh, on the committee for the 2026 Olympic Paralympic bid uh, by the federal government. And, you know, I think those would have been great games. Calgary still has some of the best facilities in the world. It wouldn't have cost much money and there would have been a huge economic benefit and I could go on and on and on. But unfortunately, the plebiscite voted no. So I believe that Canada will pursue a games again. You know, we sort of need that. We need that for the resurgence of uh, infrastructure. You know, it comes from different budgets because the federal government has a budget for major events every few years. So, you know, when people kind of say, oh, it's different, it, it's budgeted for a major event. So uh, we need it for sport. You know, we continue to to sort of put some money into sport. But if we truly want to continue to build sport and make sport a priority, not just at the high performance level, because we have to understand that sport at the high performance inspires sport at the grassroots. We all came from the grassroots. And, you know, when you play like I do old lady hockey, old lady ringette, regardless of what level of sport you went to, you come back to grassroots sports. So we need that. We need the games back so that we can, you know, have that next generation understand that there's, that there's, there's infrastructure, there are programs, and there's a path for them. Mm -hmm. And I see that Vancouver has expressed an interest in 2030. Is that uh, moving forward? Do you know? Uh, I don't believe that it's confirmed, but I know that they have expressed an interest in the Canadian Olympic Committee and Canadian Paralympic Committee have been talking with them and, you know, they've been tying to the Indigenous community. And so, you know, I know that Toronto had pursued stuff and Quebec City wanted to pursue stuff. We have to look at where it makes financial sense. And so, you know, the fact that Vancouver, Whistler, um, you know, has a lot of facilities, to me, that would make sense. But, you know, ultimately, ultimately, that's not my decision. It's a decision of, of many others. So we'll see where that goes. For sure. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Now, obviously, your your immediate focus is on your 
responsibilities in Beijing. But then after that, what are you into right now? What are you doing now? Are you talking sport, work, or all of the above? Uh, both, actually, yeah. For work-wise, my, uh, my real job is uh, President and CEO of Sport Calgary. So that's our Civic Sport Council. Okay. So when I talk about grassroots sport, it's obviously near and dear to my heart, not just from you know, my involvement, but also my kids' involvement and my work. And, you know, the pandemic has been very tough on grassroots sports. And so we are the voice of, of amateur sport in Calgary. That keeps me busy. And it, you know, the correlation between that and all my other hats that I wear. So again, I help at the Olympic Oval. I'm uh, on the national board for Special Olympics Canada, and I'm the vice chair of Canada Games Council. Those also come from grassroots. And, you know, that, that's a level of high performance. And then my role as chef. So again, it's that from grassroots, and we talk about playground to podium, that really encompasses everything I do in life. You know, I've coached my daughter's ringette, but the fact that my kids are active and I play those sports, I don't sleep a lot. I'm a single mom. I have two dogs. I try to manage, <laughs> I try to make an outdoor ring because I look at the snow falling right now. But you know what? It's I, what I love are people in sport and that gives me energy. I also get energy just being by myself outside at midnight with a hose flooding my rink. So I love what I do. And you never know when it's your last day. So to me, you have to love it. And I've always said to my kids, if it's your last day, what are people going to say about you? So as long as they can say that I've helped them be better people, then to me, I've succeeded. Oh, for sure. And obviously, I mean, you've been around the Canadian Olympic movement for quite some time, both as an athlete and now as part of an administrator. How have you seen the funding improve over the last four decades? Yeah, I mean, there. I, I believe, and again, I'm, I'm saying this because I don't necessarily know, you know, there's more support corporately. Um, I believe some athletes have you know, more sponsors. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the carding, which is the government money every month. I mean, it's, it was, I think 1700 when I retired a month. I don't think it's a ton more. Okay. Um, you know, athletes choose this life, but again, it's, you know, representing all Canadians, but, uh, you know, it's not an easy, it's not an easy life. Again, we choose it. I had my parents who paid my rent until the day I retired when I was 32 years old. So I was super fortunate even being at the top, but you know, you rely on a lot of volunteers and a lot of people think this position of chef de mission is a paid position. It's a volunteer position. I'm taking a month off of work to do that, Yeah. but they're supportive of that. And so it's a choice I've made. And I'm also trying to show my kids that, you know, I can be a good mom and I can be supportive and I can also follow my goals and I can also volunteer. So I'm trying to be an example to them and trying to be a leader to the athletes and also be a leader to others as well, saying you can follow what you're passionate about and, and incorporate that. No, that's that's awesome, Katrina. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. You're being a role model, I'm sure, not just to your own children, but also other people's children because when people see that you're out there doing these things, that'll inspire them as well, right? If people can see it, they can be it. I hope so, and that's what I'm, you know, I try to – Trust me, I make mistakes, but I try to live by, you know, follow by example. But again, it doesn't mean you do everything right, but you try and you can admit when you screw up and then you try to be better. Of course. And an athlete like yourself, you know, you talk about preparation and that's the thing. Athletes, I've found 
if anyone's going to be able to come back from a mistake or an adversity and come back better, it's, it's those in, the, in that realm. And there's obviously a quality to you because not only have you succeeded as an athlete, but you succeed as a broadcaster and you, you're succeeding as a leader in the community. So I guess I have to ask for our listeners, what are some tr- things that people should be doing, I guess, to, to nurture this sense of leadership and excellence? Well, I, I want people to remember that leaders don't have to be the people at the top. You can be a leader in, regardless of your role. It's being an example. It's how you deal with successes. It's how you deal with setbacks. It's helping out others. It's the volunteer side. Because I think sometimes we're intimidated because we don't necessarily know. Even in my role as the Sport Calgary president and CEO, I don't have the expertise in a lot of these areas. And I ask my colleagues, I ask my chair, I ask various people for help. And I admit, you know what, I don't necessarily know this. And that's okay. I think I'm okay admitting when I don't know stuff. Sometimes you got to fake it. For sure you do. (laughs) But, um, you know, I think people are sometimes scared to try or scared to volunteer because they're worried. What if I screw up? That's okay. Mm -hmm. Everybody screws up. But I I think it's making that effort and, and, you know, knowing where you want to go. What do you want to do? What are you passionate about? And sometimes it takes a lot of time. That's okay. It's just be stubborn and continue down that path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and not give up, I guess. Um, I can see that those that stay in the game, pardon the pun, they, they usually get to the success in the end. Yeah, I believe so. Just staying in the same vein for those who want to, I guess, follow your path, the path he took as a broadcaster, an award-winning broadcaster, by the way, what are some tips you'd pass on to them? You know, I think the biggest thing that helped me when I was working, in a way, working my way up in the broadcast side was to, you know, I was doing a lot of public speaking and I continue to do public speaking. I always felt like I was just talking to people because you are. And so I would try to just be as natural as I could. I would have a conversation. And what I tried to do as a broadcaster was give the information that myself as a viewer wanted to know. You know, when I was calling speed skating, certain parts you had to give the technical side, but you can't give all technical side because people honestly back home watching skating, they want to know why somebody's faster than the other, but then they'll, you lose them. They want to know also about the person. So I know as a viewer, I want to know what makes somebody tick. So as a broadcaster, that's the information that I would try to bring, humanize the people that they see on TV. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful because I think sometimes... Sometimes I guess missed at some of these larger events that, that these athletes are still people, <laughs> despite being, you know, the best of the best, they are still human beings at the end of it. For sure. Yeah, I don't want to get this wrong. So how <laughs> many Hall of Fames have you been inducted into? See, you're asking me difficult questions. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, I, I know there's at least two. Is there more than that? So, well, there's – so. I guess because there's Saskatoon and then there's Saskatchewan, then there's Alberta, and then there's the Canada Sports Hall of Fame. Um, the Olympic Hall of Fame. Canadian Olympic. I think. <laughs> See, this is this is a very difficult question. <laughs> Can I plead the fifth? As people say. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I guess the the follow up is is how how did it make you feel? I guess to get inducted into some of these Hall of Fames. Uh, I mean, it's. It, it's a great honor. Um, you know, and Canada Sports Hall of Fame is where all sport comes together. So regardless if it's amateur, 
professional, whatever. So that getting inducted into that is, is incredible. And when you look at the people who've come before you and those who will come after you, that's really a huge honor and to be an honored member of that. And I continue to work the head of the of Canada Sports Hall of Fame is, is uh, Cheryl Bernard, the Olympic curler. Mm-hmm. So we work closely together. She's based out of Calgary. And so, you know, it's great as you look at the the new inductees every year and it's also builders. So it's people behind the scenes who don't necessarily always get the accolades. So giving them, you know, sort of that honor and acknowledging the work they've done is just, it's always great. And Canada as a country, despite our size, population doesn't match. We generally hit pretty high above our weight when it comes to Olympics, especially winter Olympics. Yeah. And if we look at how we did in Tokyo, I mean, it was incredible as well. So, you know, we're, we're a winter nation and we usually do really well at winter games. And I hate when people put numbers on medals. And so we've actually decided, you know, for Beijing not to put a number on the medals, but with the recent results of sports around the world, you know, we'll, we're going to be competitive once again. And so, you know, it's great because the, the way that people at home now can view sport online, you know, the digital, the TV, the traditional, all of these different ways. It's so exciting because we have the way to, you know, really make an impact on that next generation. Right on. And have you seen the, uh, the new outfits for Team Canada? I have, you know, because I've been doing a lot of media stuff, a lot of appearances, I've gone to pick up a few items uh, because we actually don't get our stuff till February. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's great. I love it. And, you know, what's really neat is that uh, Lululemon worked closely with the athletes for 18 months, the Olympians and Paralympians for what they needed. So they've really incorporated design elements that were important to the athletes. And you know what, at the end of the day, that's who it's about. It's not about the mission team. It's not about the chef. It's not about anybody except the athletes. So it's great to, to sort of know how closely they've worked together. And does your position as chef de mission, does that, does that carry over to the Paralympic games or no? No, it doesn't. Uh, Paralympics has their own chef. And so, you know, we're, we're actually, I think the only nation so far, I, I think that actually puts an athlete in those positions. It used to be an administrator. And for most countries, it mm-hmm. is an administrator from the uh, National Olympic Committee. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting note. Yeah, that's interesting. So Katrina, we've, we're, like you said, we're less than two months away. This is a four-year cycle, and it's exciting times. This is an exciting time because we've just come from the Summer Olympic Games, and we're going to Winter Olympics coming up. Are there any particular sports outside of speed skating that we should watch? <laughs> <laughs> you should be watching all of them. And, with, and with, like I said, digitally, however you can watch them, you're able to do that. You know, we're a powerhouse in so much. Freestyle skiing, hockey, curling, you know. I could go on and on. And so it's it's exciting because there's certain sports if you look at uh luge a lot of a lot of the athletes from Pyeongchang retired this new generation same with figure skating and you know there's some new young ones coming up but oh, honestly it's it's exciting because we could be medal contenders in all of them. So don't pick and choose, well, pick and choose but pick and choose all of them. Okay, I'll do my level best. Uh, <laughs> now, Katrina, I have to ask, because our show is 
There's two of us today, but there's a third member, and okay. he he has a passion. So I'm going to ask you about said passion. What are your thoughts on poutine? Oh, I love poutine. Awesome. I love it. It's my it's a weakness. So it's chip and dip though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I I enjoy it, and you know what? Probably the time I like it the most is on a ski hill when I stop midday for a beer, a burger, and poutine. Nice. I guess lastly for me is, are you a fan of any of the particular sports in general? All sport. But you know what? Probably track and field is one of my favorites. I actually competed in track in the summer, and my dream was to go to Canada Games, and I ended up doing that in 93 in heptathlon and hurdles. Wow. So it's kind of my second love, maybe my first love. I'm not sure which. <laughs> I just wasn't as good. So I've I've loved it, and, um, you know, just even – watching the athletics Tokyo and watching Damian Warner win. And yeah, he's the, just, the athlete. Yes. And he's just, he's a classy human being and just a great champion on and off the field of play. So I, I just love it. I love, you know, watching great people uh, do great things. Yeah. I, I love watching that too. I, I mean, sure. It's patting ourselves on the back, but I think we won the, uh, the Tokyo Olympics when it comes right down to it. Exactly. <laughs> Canada won that Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Nee. Uh, I, I, no, I I will agree to disagree. But anyway, <laughs> it was a very good Olympics in Canada. But Australia did well as well. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, Katrina, where can we follow you on social media? I am, um, well, so because my... First name is spelled strange. It's Scottish. It's Katriona. So it's with a C and it's Katriona LD. So it's C-A-T-R-I-O-N-A-L-D. You know what? I post kind of about everything. My kids, my sports, everything. I just got the Olympic rings tattoo a few days ago. I posted about that. So right on. yeah, I kind of post about everything. <laughs> awesome. I'd love to see it. Katrina, do you have anything that you'd like to share with our audience before we get you out of here? No, I just, uh, you know what, I'm excited for the games. I encourage everybody to uh, to cheer the athletes on. They've been through, I mean, everybody's been through a lot dealing with COVID, but, you know, we just can't forget these athletes represent every single one of us. You know, the words dare to wear the maple leaf come to mind, and so they're, they're choosing to do that, and they dare to do that, so uh, let's cheer them on. Right on. That's very true. And and like you said, sport has the power to inspire, as you mentioned through your experience in Vancouver. So I'm sure this will be a moment of inspiration for the people. Yeah, for sure. You know what? Not just the young, but the old as well. Exactly. That's what it's about. Thank you for your time, Katrina. Honestly, honor. It's an honor to talk to you. You're, I watched you kick ass. So. <laughs> well, thanks so much, you guys. I appreciate it. If you have any questions for the Pro Sports Podcasters, be sure to reach us on our Twitter account, where you can also slide into our DMs and catch the latest snippets, dirt, and other exclusive things that we will tweet. Check us out at P Podcasters on Twitter.